Welcome to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Fresh content every Thursday right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And, of course, wherever you get your podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise, make sure you download, subscribe to Smith & Jones. Please rate and review as well. Jonesy, in just a couple of moments, we're going to hook up with one of our favorite guests. We've been talking to him for a long time on this show, but, of course, for a long time going back to his playing days as a Nick as a Bull, and of course as a Toronto Raptor, Charles Oakley. And if I say to you, Jonesy, and there's probably a thousand things spinning in your mind right now as I say this, but give me one. One thing comes to mind, or one story comes to mind when I say Charles Oakley. It is? Uh, I don't know which one. Uh, there are so many. Um, uh, I would have to say... I would have to say the series against Philadelphia that year, how how hard he and Antonio Davis, like what they showed the young Raptor team about playoff basketball from a couple guys that had already been to a conference final. Um, th- that's what comes to mind most just in general when I think of Oak. There are so many stories, Eric. I, I mean, they're all memorable to me. I, I don't know which one you're you're headed for, but it, it'll be a head slapper, a forehead slapper. When you bring it up, I'll go, oh, yeah, I remember that one. So, uh, you know, go ahead, man. I'm lobbing it up to you. Oh, so you're lobbing it back to me? I didn't even think you are going to throw it back to me. I'll tell you honestly what stands out more than anything, and, and, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm copping out a little bit here, Jonesy, because I'm talking more generically than one specific moment. Yeah. It's, it's simply the fact that when he got dealt here, I was shocked because I didn't think – like, I, the first time I saw him in a jersey, it looked weird to me. Just because, I, like, the big dinosaur on the chest of Charles Oakley, like this guy from the Knicks, this guy that I've been watching on TV and, and, and seeing in games with the Bulls and the, and, the, and, and the Knicks, and all of a sudden now he's wearing a purple dinosaur on his chest. And then to think, well, hold on a second, I don't care what jersey he's wearing, he plays for this team, and he's got the back of, of Vince Carter, and he's, he's going to be yeah. out there as the ultimate enforcer, the ultimate tough guy. And just the cachet and the clout and the juice that he brought to this team just by yeah, being he, in that uniform, being on the floor, that's to me what stands out more than anything. Yeah, that, and like I said, Eric, general, in general. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that was it, the fact that, hey, man, he's one of those guys, you respect him and you fear him on the other team. And when he's on your team, man, your chest is out. And you're like, okay, we're, we're, we're making some noise here. I got this guy with me. And, um, you know, he, he was always a... A terrific teammate, a loyal teammate. He was great with us in the media, and I would say that those moves by Glenn Grunwald, those two moves, uh, one the trade of Charles Oakley to Toronto, and two the acquisition of Antonio Davis. Like I said, mm-hmm. two guys that had battled against each other, uh, butted heads like old school, hard physical basketball. And then when it was done, shake the guy's hand and off the court you go. Uh, we're okay now. We'll battle on the court. When they both ended up in Raptor uniforms at the same time, I was like, okay, the fortunes of this team and, and the respect for this team and the, the identity of this team has just changed, not just in Toronto, but league-wide. Well, his book is titled The Last Enforcer. You can get it anywhere, but it's perfectly, perfectly titled for this man that we bring into the conversation right now, Charles Oakley. Charles, always great chatting with you, and uh, I understand you're going to be coming up to, uh, to Toronto sometime next week, so we'll get into that a little bit later. We can always go in like 19 different directions with you, but 
One thing I wanted right. to ask you off the off the bat here, Charles, is just when you sit back and watch the game as a fan, knowing as a guy who's been there between the lines, what stands out to you more than anything else about today's game? Wow. So, so that's a big question, but I'm going to give you a lot of answers. Uh, the game that has totally changed, I think, is, you know, dominant high pick and roll, uh, a lot of threes. And then when you're watching the game from how they play it as a whole, as a concept of team awareness, you see a lot of mistakes and this and that. It's it's a different game. But I think they're trying to see how many threes they can put up. And, then, and I think that the team who can shoot the best will be Golden State. But that's how they won a the championship last year. They got more attempts than Boston. Boston, the Golden State had the better shooters, and it showed. Curry had his best year. Out his whole career that last year during the season and the playoffs. Charles, who's a team that you look at? No, but hold on a second. Like hold it? on a second, Jonesy. Hold on, hold on. Charles, you just said you had you could, you had about five different answers for me. You only gave me one. So what? What, what else stands oh, okay. out? Okay. Well, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it, the game is first. Like I, you know, I like last night I watched um, Portland and uh, L.A. because L.A. been struggling. They got three Hall of Fames, and you know to communicate on the court. To me, when you when I watch now, I see a lot of bad. Uh, just guys don't understand time and possession no more, and I think everybody feel like they always open. They're gonna take a shot, and I think back in the days, you just go through your first two options. So even AD and LeBron and Westbrook, you see some guys shooting threes, and you know I just I just take a shot because they get the, the ball in their hand. But I see your best teams. You see them playing more together. They get like Milwaukee. They going through the Greek freak. You watch um, Cleveland. They got the two two guards. In our West, you see it, it just wide open. I mean, it can be basic. You see a team win sixty game. A couple of teams you might not see no team win sixty high fifty games this year. Hmm. Uh, Charles, I was going to ask you on the. Uh, you know, you 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 were commenting on the way teams are playing. Um, Hey, I, I think you, Eric, and I, not, Eric too, I'll put him in there, cut from a different cloth the way we learn the game and watch the game. And some of the old-fashioned stuff still works. I mean, I look at the Toronto-New Orleans game uh, with Valanchunas still doing a good job as a traditional big. But is there a team when you turn on your TV or you, you, know, you, you know, sidle up to your computer and say, you know what, here's a team – or here's a player that I, I like to see every night because I like the way this team or these this guy plays. Um, I mean, that is Curry, LeBron, um, Katie. Um, and it's not a lot because it's just, you know, teams want to win, but you got to know how to build a team. And if you watched Memphis last year in the playoff against Golden State, it's just when you've got, a, uh, I think, the, uh, the big guy, Clark, um, Anyway, he took 15 threes, and this guy averaged 12 points. And I've seen something this year. I've seen a guy take 30 shots, and he averaged 13 points. And like, how are you taking that many shots? I mean, that's coaching. And you know, a lot of these guys just taking shots, and you don't, you don't see the coaching in these, a lot of these teams. You might have about four or five coaches who are going to emphasize, we're going to stick with this, we're going to play this way, and we're going we're gonna to lose, we're going to lose like this. But a lot of the mother teams, I mean, they shouldn't even have coaches. <laughs> you know, Charles, when you talk about coaching, too, it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but Jonesy, we, we've often talked about this in the past as well. 
do coaches have the opportunity to coach as much anymore? Because it seems like there aren't a lot of practices any longer. Like, even when we look at the Raptors, whether it's because of injuries, because of illnesses, because of the travel and the schedule and whatnot, teams don't really seem to get on the floor and practice a whole lot anymore. Well, I mean, now that goes to who you got. Do your guys have a high IQ? Do you understand when training camp starts, you get something, you know, what, some type of way or style you want to play. If you want to come that way, you know, most of the season, I know guys get hurt and just things that other guys come in. But when you got a style and you watch films and you plan, I mean, something just look bad. I mean, un, un, you know, unwatchable sometimes. But I think, you know, look at Steve Curry and you look at, uh, you know, Cleveland coming along, Milwaukee. Some, some, of these, some of these guys understand. They're trying to win championships. A lot of teams don't win championships, but they don't have no style or consistency. You can't win without the consistency. And you look at Golden State, how they won last year against Boston. The veteran leadership played a factor. Coaching played a factor. And Boston will be one of the top you know, defensive teams in the league. But they don't they don't trap Curry when they need it to. I mean, so it's 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 a, it's a tricky situation. Still be slow with what's going on with the league. You just got to watch and take you know four or five air balls. Teams going ten for thirty from the free throw lines is that we lost about two or three points. But you know, you lost because they don't care about free throws missing in the game no more. Because a lot of teams just missing free throws and crunch time and. You know, could win a game, but I don't know if they work on the free throws or do they work on stuff to make the team uh, just, you know, they just go through the motion. Like you said, and practice time is practice time. You get the best out of what you can practice. But a lot of teams, like you said, don't practice no more. And you see the good team might get away with it. If you're a bad team, you need to take all the practice and film section you can. So, Charles, you know, thinking about that when when you talk about that and not – you know, teams not practicing or not spending the time to practice. How, how much do you think just the idea of, you know, we always knew the NBA was a copycat league. Uh, you know, right. a team like Golden State, they because of the veterans and stuff, when they were winning, they may not practice. They shoot threes. How much do you think everybody just looks at that and says, well, that's the way you win, that's the way you do it. And then you get a guy like Nick Nurse in Toronto that says, he doesn't copy. He says, no, you know what? This is the way I'm going to play. And people right. look at Toronto with their length and their athleticism, switching everything. They get after you defensively. I mean, as you said, it's it's an organization, right? It's it's how they decide they want to play. And and in, in at times, it really can be a copycat league. Well, you look at Toronto. Look at that roster they got now. You know, Fred is the smallest guy. They got a lot of late on the wing, they can switch. They defend. A lot of teams switch just to be switching. Not with a concept. So, yeah. When, to, when I was up there when they won the championship, you looked at Toronto, how they played. They played through. Wild Leonard, you know, he made everybody better. And everybody else stepped up. And, and he held them accountable. You got whole guys accountable these days. So, like I said, it's a lot of loose and goose in the NBA now. And there's a lot of friendly stuff going on. They hugging, they doing all this and that. And sometimes when you lose a game, it hurts. I ain't got time to be going shake somebody's hand or hugging them tomorrow. See you next game. No, I'm going to the locker room and think about how can I get better. You don't see that. 
perfect segue to mention again the fact that Charles has his book. It's been out a while. We've mentioned it on our show before, but it's uh, still worthy to mention. And if, uh, especially around this time of the year, folks are looking for a Christmas gift, a stocking stuffer, the last enforcer, outrageous stories from the life and times of uh, one of the greats and Charles Oakley. Uh, Charles, let me ask you about um, that enforcer type role and what you were just talking about. The you know maybe too much you know love and kisses on the on the floor from time to time. Is there a guy in the league right now that you watch and say, that's a guy I could play with, or that's a guy I could play for, that's a guy I could enforce with? Like, do, like is there somebody that you watch and say, that's, a, that's an 80s, 90s kind of guy that I would like to play with or, or at least enjoy watching right now? I will, um, good question. Um, it's, just, it's just different. I mean, you, know, you always want to play with LeBron. Everybody's talking about hard and, hard and difficult, but when a guy can be a leadership and – Orchestrate every night, guys. How to play? It. You got to know how to play with him. And a lot of guys get confused, like when he won championship in Cleveland, won in Miami. These guys were always so stressed out. I didn't know what. To, no, you're a ball player. You're making twenty, thirty million dollars. Put your time in your craft and your work. And it's like a band with a lead singer, like a Michael Jackson or Prince. I mean, can you all sing it? No. So fall in your place. These guys got to fall in place, be consistent. And get your game together. I think a lot of these guys, it's, it's the thing in this game today is a lot of this, everybody can, you know, go online, social media, do this and do that. They pumping themselves, they creating a, you know, outlet for themselves. You know, make their name, you know, out there in the street for people to know about them. But I mean, the thing where you get your money, you get your money when you're in uniform or you playing for a team or franchise. And I think that. Um, I hear a lot of guys complain, but I look at these guys who complain. They game ain't what they think it is. It's a lot of that. So it's a, it's a lot of if and this, if and that. But I think that uh, you know, playing with Kevin Love, to play with Curry, LeBron, um, I mean, KD. I mean, guys like that make your job easier because they know how to play. And guys should be willing. All them teams, all the names I announced, them guys got championship too. Who? What do you think about the way the league has changed the format of the playoffs, Charles, with the play-in tournament? What do you think about that? When um, you think back in the day how you used to have to struggle to get one of them top eight right. spots. Uh, what do you think about the play-in tournament? Well, the play-in is a joke to me. Don't bail these guys out and put their work in. Let the top eight teams in the playoff and the play-in team maybe next year come back and get better. But I, I don't like it, but who am I? Uh, something about money. And what the league is about money because they're making so much money. Because you see, you get three or four guys on team, some team making $40 million. So you know they got to be making a lot of money. But I definitely don't like to play in. Speaking with Charles Oakley. Charles, I want to jump back for a second. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if you um, saw any of the, the clips from last night or saw it this morning, even or whatnot, but you were mentioning LeBron James and. One of the things that we've talked at, at length many times about LeBron, even off the court, is here's a guy that for damn near 20 years now has been at the top of the game, not just the top of his game. An elite, all-world, right. worldwide talent, worldwide name, household name, who's stayed out of trouble, who's stayed out of the, the, the negativity in terms of the, the media spotlight, uh, the scrutiny, and everything else. And... He often is a guy that, right, wrong, or otherwise, is asked for his opinion on X, Y, Z, whether it's X's and O's of basketball, whether it's politics or otherwise. And he made a point last night of coming out and saying, 
Like, why hasn't anybody asked me about the stuff with, with Jerry Jones and the picture that's come up after 60-plus years of, of Jones as a, as a youngster? Right, um, right. Charles, not necessarily – I mean, if you want to speak on that specifically, great, but I'm talking more in general. How did you right, handle uh, the media and the spotlight that came to you as a leader on a team, playing on teams alongside superstars, and, and, and when press would come to you looking for comments, maybe like I'm even doing right now, on things that are right. outside of the realm of the sport? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked me that because um, I saw that last night before I went to sleep. But I'm not a, 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 you know, my style of basketball is different than LeBron, but I don't have the talent of LeBron. But I like how he carries himself when he puts team on and off the court. We speak about different topics. And I like what he has done over his 20 years. You know, he held himself accountable, not just on the court, off the court. But uh, I believe in what he said. Yeah, it was true, and um, he said it was true because the I main thing is Kyrie. You know, we all know what happened with him, and he got suspended. Un, you know, for five games, and then they added three more that was uncalled for. Took advantage of the situation. I think Brooklyn did. Uh, it's just you know you see this going on in this day and time, and it's a weak it's a weak issues for like why he had to take a pill. Pay a penalty like that for something he just he read and had opinion and retreated about it. But when LeBron said about Jerry Jones, I mean, hey, what can we do? It's a lot of pictures of a lot of people, and I think that right, you know, all of them accountable too. And that's what I think they said. All these guys got billions of dollars. If you look at what happened with Phoenix owner, uh, he was doing stuff and over 20 years. I guess since Kyrie issue came out, they don't talk about it anymore. He haven't sold the team yet, but Jerry Jones, he got every week he got something to say. He's on the owner, owner, owner of the NFL have a press conference. I mean, he like attention. So yes, it definitely should have been more said about it. And you know, he trying to watch the window by saying, "Wow, he just ended up there and he didn't really know what was going on." It was going on a lot back in them days. <laughs> So it's nothing that you can say to cover this. It's not you can't cover it up. You know, mm-hmm. you there. You should you should have wore a hat or something. Maybe they they wouldn't pick you out. But you can hold them accountable. I mean, we hold all the players accountable. We, we you know, like Kyrie. You know, he's the owner. But in NBA, they took the owner team in Charlotte. They took the owner team out three years ago. So I don't know if they're gonna take his team. But it needs something need to be done. He need to be suspended or something. And you know, like, hey, this this is on your watch. It don't matter. You still living. This is on your watch. So you got to be held accountable for it. So I don't know what the NFL is gonna do. But LeBron is right. I mean, ask 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 him more about what, why was he there. I mean, it wasn't a good call. It was bad because what came out of it was bad for the other you know other people who was there because you didn't give him the opportunity to have freedom. Man, Charles, we need an hour with you, man, at least. <laughs> um, I, the player empowerment era and using their voices like this, how much do you think the groundwork was laid down by some of you guys back in the time? Like, I remember, Eric and I both remember um, having the time before social media to go into the locker room and stand right. there with Charles Oakley, and we talked about everything from your car wash in New York to – you know, something that you got going now. We know you love to cook. You go, we're waiting for the bus to roll through Toronto, the food kitchen. 
Um, how much right. do you think the, the groundwork was paved by some of the things you guys did in the day? I mean, you were always good at that. A lot of the vets, guys like to talk, right. put the pads, the pens away, put the tape recorders, put the cameras away, and let's sit down and talk like people here. Well, my thing, I was always told the press, I mean, whatever you ask me, I'm going to give you my best answer I can, and it is what it is. I mean, you write what I say, don't write what you think. Write what I ask, what, you know, what I tell you. So I didn't have a problem with it because I told them, like, I'm going to be, I'll talk to you all day and night. But my thing is, I think that the Bill Russell, the Jim Brown, the Ali back in their era, they set, they set the trend. But I think in my era, for as guys, like, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you know, you know, late 70s, 80s, 90s, they, did, they wouldn't opinionate like LeBron. And I think that would hurt the league back in them, maybe them 15 years. With the superstar, I think we had more selfish superstars. They didn't look out for they, – they didn't let their leadership stand out and, and, and voice their opinion like LeBron and Curry, Chris Paul, um, Jalen Brown – so them guys and experience some stuff, and they see it's happening more and more. So these guys, not saying somebody telling them what to say, everybody got their own ways of doing. Like Kyrie, he felt like he felt this way about what happened, and he's sticking with it. So, and you know, like I said, LeBron is part of the class, and he ain't done so much as a leader and trying to keep everybody informed, not just on the court. You know, with the George George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. So he's been speaking up on all the topics, all the issues. And I think that, you know, you got to take your hat off of him because it's a lot of pressure. you got a platform, but some guys don't use it like LeBron do it. I'm just glad that he voices opinion. And hopefully this young generation that's coming up keep it going because I know once he retire from the league, the league going to take a hit. LeBron retired right now this year. You're going to see a league going to just drop for energy. A type of guy he was, what he meant for everybody. You know, a lot of people hate him. I don't know why. I guess they hate him. But what he had done and what he continued to do after 20 years and bring people still come to see him play, he still sell tickets. He's still the top two or three faces of the league. So, like I said, I just take my hat off and what he's doing. You know, I go back to Akron, Ohio, built a school, keep his family engaged, the two sons coming up, and just he's a great guy. And Raptor fans will get a chance to see LeBron James in action next week when the Lakers come to town. In fact, maybe they'll get a chance to see you as well, Charles. I understand you're going to be coming up this way. for Is it for a book signing, or what, like, what are you going to be doing up here on this side of the board? i got, I got a couple things to do up here. You know, you know, every time I come to Toronto, I mean, like, this is my home away from home, and I get so much love. And I just wish when I played there for my three years, like we could have did better and did more because the city – they was looking for something. And I think when Kawhi Leonard came and gave him something, they, that's an experience. I don't know when it ever happened again up there, but at least they got a chance to experience that when, when Kawhi Leonard came up and won the championship. I came to the parade. I came to the game. It was just like I've been to, like, the Yankees, a couple of the Bulls. But up there when they won, like, man, oh, man, it was just a different atmosphere, a different sight. It's just the fans just, like I say, they did it in baseball, you know, put them two years back to back, but. It was a long drought. I know they did it back in the 50s and the 40s and 50s in the hockey, but they were living off the hockey. They love hockey up there. But now I think they're train, transitioning to more of uh, the basketball now. That fans well, definitely have their fingers crossed, right, Jonesy, that it's going to happen again, hopefully. Well, one of these yeah, days, right? 
Yeah, Ian, I, I just want to say this as a, as a young buck covering the league when Oak was in New York and, and you know, seeing my first game in New York and, and before the Raptors came in, I was a Knicks fan. And that, those teams with, you know, uh, Patrick Ewing and, and Charles and Anthony Mason and, you know, you and I just had a chance to talk to Derek Harper last week. And, and I got to tell you, Oak, when that trade was made to bring you to Toronto, that brought instant mm-hmm. credibility to this organization. Mm-hmm. And you were really instrumental with Vince and, you know, kind of paving the way for, for what went forward. And the city loves the hard mm-hmm. workers and you, you fit right in, man. It was, it was terrific. It seems like it was only three years. It seems like you were here 30, the way the, the love <laughs> you get and the way that people talk about yeah. you. Man. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, to this day, when I'm like in the Bahamas, different places, New York, LA, I run, I just, I was at the, I was just in somewhere I ran to. I always run to the Raptors the fans or just fans who saw me play on TV when I played there. And they're just like, man, we're glad you came. When the ball, you got to add 20, 30 points. You must a lot of hard. You took the team and put them on. You know, some people, if you put team on their back, I, you know, he said, you held these guys accountable. You, you see the chairs and when you come to the game and watch the game, how you, no matter what, you played 10 minutes, 20 minutes, it was a consistency. And I really appreciate when fans come up to me and tell me they go, everybody, you know, when I first got there, they were like, well, you're not scoring, you're not doing this and that. My thing, when I signed that contract and come up there, I said, you know what, we're going to get better every year. If I score 10 points or 20 points, you're going to feel different. And that's what I bring now. Charles, we always appreciate the time. Great chatting with you. Again, folks, make sure you check out his book, The Last Enforcer. And we'll see you in Toronto next week, Charles. All the best. All right, thanks. Bye. That was Charles Oakley. Again, his book, The Last Enforcer, available wherever you get your books. I'll tell you one other quick story that stands out. And, and I admit, I'm, 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 I'm maybe a coward for not saying this while we've got him on the line, but just because I don't want him getting cheesed off of me or anything, I don't think he'd mind me telling the story like 20 years later. Here's the other thing that stands out from, from a Charles Oakley memory, Jonesy. Being in the locker room one time and just kind of standing there doing an interview, being in the scrum, and... When he was finished, like combing his hair and you know fixing up his his tie and whatever else before he left the the locker room, he kind of dropped his comb, his brush down into his bag, and I just happened to look down as he dropped the brush. I swear to you, it might have been five hundred bucks, but it looked like about ten thousand dollars. There was just random cash, like yeah. all over the place in this leather bag that he had just sit like sitting beside his locker. And he dropped this stuff in his toiletry bag, and everything. I looked down, I'm like. My God, how much money is in there? Just losing. I'm going to follow up. <laughs> I'm going to follow up on that e and tell you that Charles Oakley, he gave his suits to people. He'd wear them a couple times and give them to guys his yep. size that didn't have that kind of clothing. Uh, he was very businesslike. When he went out in the court, he was going to play. He didn't dap anybody up. The only guy he would dap up was Ben Wallace, who went to his school. Other than that, hey man, I've come to play. I've come to win. I've, I watched Oak tip a ball boy for bringing him chicken wings, $100. Here you go, young man. Take that with you. Like he was, he is, like I said, he's, he's a straight shooting person. And what you see is what you get. And it's, uh, you know, he will always have a, a special place for me in the, in the lore and the, you know, the, the history of Toronto Raptors basketball. When we continue on Smith & Jones, we will hear from another former Toronto Raptor in Damare Carroll, plus later on ESPN's Tim Bontemps. It's all coming up on Smith & Jones.
Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you again. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast: Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, and review as we bring into the conversation right now another former Toronto Raptor and current assistant coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, Damari Carroll. Damari, great catching up with you here. And before I get to anything else, maybe you can fill us in on the latest for you and how it all came together in this, in this new union with the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> um, it's been great, you know, um, getting this opportunity. Uh, Coach Bud gave me this opportunity with the Milwaukee Bucks that I couldn't refuse. Uh, he wanted me to kind of come in and, and you know, and, and, and change, pivot my career into coaching, and uh, I'm excited about it. Everything's been great, and um, I'm just happy to be here. Damari, you and I spoke uh, at Summer League, and I saw you. We were in the – Eric, this is proof that I was actually working out. I saw Damari in the gym. He was working out real hard. I was just kind of walking around drinking water and lifting the odd weight. DC, you had told me that, you know, you were thinking about the coaching route. Now that you're in it, what has surprised you the most? I mean, you, you've you been around the game. I mean, you watch video. You sit with coaches. But as somebody imparting that knowledge and, and – helping to develop guys and sitting in on meetings with game plans and coverages and, and philosophies and all of that. What's kind of jumped you the most about, man, this coaching thing, uh, it's, it's more difficult than I thought. Uh, it's the man hours. Um, I take back everything I said about all my, my bad coaches that I, that I didn't really have a good time with, <laughs> but the man hours, they put a lot of work into the scouting you know, and coverages and understanding players and tendencies and personnel. So uh, the man hours is definitely an eye-opener for me. And um, and I definitely have to tilt my hat off to all the coaches who, you know, who put in those man hours uh, day in and day out. Hey, Damari, you're, you're not that far removed from the playing days. So let, let me hit the rewind button just a little bit here. Is this something? Is this something that was always in your mind? Like one day, one day, I want to get into coaching or into management or something, or is this just an opportunity presented itself? Because I don't remember really asking you that or talking to you about that, at least in your time in Toronto. If this is something that you always aspire to do? Yeah, it was sneaky. It was kind of one of those things that I was going back and forth. I used to be intrigued, even just when I was playing in Toronto, just. Um, you know, talking to Masai and talking to uh, Bobby Webster and, and talking to different people around the organization, it was just intriguing to me, like, the, the things that they do that goes on, you know, all the time that's spent, you know, to, to try to get this player, trade for this player, do all those types of things. So it was always intriguing. But I really never made a decision into this past year if I was going to, like, go to the front office or go to coaching. And I felt like coaching was a better fit for me. Uh, it kept me closer to the game. Um, I can keep that kind of competitive nature. And uh, it kept me on the court. And I felt like I had a lot to offer to a lot of young guys who's kind of coming up and kind of going through similar paths that I went through. You know, started off kind of bumpy, getting drafted, uh, and then kind of carving your way out throughout the league and having a heck of a NBA career. When you look at uh... – your team now, the Bucks and Coach Bud's philosophy, a lot of it is the same as, you know, when you guys were winning 60 games in Atlanta. Are there any players, Damari, that you look at that you can equate to some of those teams that you had back then and then zero in on a guy and say, hey, 
you need to do more of this. Uh, we don't need as much this from you in, in your role as a coach. Are there, are there some of those things that jump out? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And uh, and right now, my, my guy that I really kind of been pouring all my energy and my love and everything into, and uh, we've really built a bond and built a close relationship is uh, our rookie we brought in, Marjorie Bluechamp. Uh, you know, I've really been trying to, you know, simplify the game for him. You know, coming into the NBA and being a rookie, you know, people can throw so much at you. Everybody wants to be the next LeBron and Kevin Durant, which you maybe you can uh, later in your career. But right now, for this team, a championship caliber team, uh, you know, you got to simplify it. And that's really what I've been trying to do for him. Speaking with Damari Carroll. Damari, we were chatting with Charles Oakley uh, just a, a few moments ago. Um, just about the, the change in the game today versus when, when he was playing. Um, and listen, I could, I could jump in, in, in five different directions, if not 50 different directions, based on some of the stuff that Oak was talking to us about. But I, I want to look just recently to a, a Raptors game that they were playing against the Pelicans. And again, you've been there between the lines very recently, so you're not far removed from it from having to be a guy that would have been standing there with this freight train coming right at you. How do you handle... Or how would you have handled a guy like Zion Williamson? Because when you see that dude coming with his speed, with his strength, with his size, I can't think of another player like that, at least in recent memory, that could be a comparable to Mari in terms of what he can do on the floor and what you as a defender must attempt to do to even slow this dude down, let alone stop him. <laughs> you're, really, you're kind of out on the island by yourself and you think you're going to guard that guy one-on-one um you basically it have to be done collectively um you know one guy can't stop you know uh, a guy like that um and it's just like almost man against boys when he's coming down downhill and, and attacking the goal so you almost have to do it collectively um and i think when i look at a guy like that when i was guarding a guy of that type of nature i knew i wasn't going to stop him from from getting to his 30 and 35, whatever points. But at the end of the game, I just wanted him to be a, a tired enough that the same shots he was making at the beginning of the game, he wasn't making at the end. So, you know, almost kind of being like this little net. So I felt like that's kind of what you have to do with guys like Zion, those type caliber guys. You have to kind of be this little net. You can't stop those guys. It's impossible. They're going to get their numbers, but you just got to make it harder for them down the stretch and they missing those some of those – same easy shots later in the game than they was in early in the game. So, so Demar, let me ask you this: without ripping a page out of your own, you know, Milwaukee playbook here, would I be wrong in in sort of comparing it to Giannis? I mean, different player, different size, <laughs> different build. But when Giannis is coming at you, open court, like even the Raptors, when I think back to just a few years ago, the way that they guarded him and were forced to change how they guarded him, how they defended him, because of his ability, especially when he was coming, you know, north south, when he's coming downhill at you, you you're forced to play a different way and adapt. Is is that a fair comparison? Even though they're two completely that's, different players. Yeah, that's definitely a fair comparison. And Giannis might be a little bit more effective just because of his length. You know, he's seven foot doing this. It's, you know, Zion is what six seven, six eight doing this. So it, it's definitely a uh, uh, the length is a big factor. And he covered more ground. So, um, man, we got all these amazing players in this league. And that, that's the beauty of the NBA. It's only getting better. Uh, guys are getting better. And these type of caliber players are, are coming about every day. So, um, 
it's just a, it's a exciting time for NBA basketball. Damari, you, you got your coaching hat on. You talked about the man hours you put in. Uh, I don't know who scout Toronto is. I'm not sure. Looking at the schedule, <laughs> I know you guys are here in January uh, for an ESPN yeah. game. I know that because I'm going to get a chance to see my brother for the first time all season. But um, what when you look at Toronto, what, what kind of challenges do they present? Uh, you were a defensive guy, and you look at Nick's system uh, with the switching and the length and the athleticism. What kind of challenge does that present? I'm not even going to talk about for Milwaukee, but for any team when you when you face a, de- a defensive uh, squad like that. But like you just said, you you hit it on the head. The athleticism they're they're, they're so long. Um, it's kind of hard, you know, to get a lot of go through a lot of actions, and and you got to have effective actions. You really got to kind of get in transition. You can't do half court with with a with a team like Toronto, and you know Nick Nurse. He's one of those top caliber coaches in this league, so he's throwing different things at you. You don't know what he's going to throw at you. So, uh, you know, that kind of challenges a lot of things. And having that length of those guys in a half-court set defense is, oh, man, it's effective. So Toronto, they definitely have a lot of talent there, and they're on the up and up. So I'm proud to look at that young team and and see some of the guys, familiar faces like Fred Van Fee. Pascal, all those guys, you know, coming into their own these day and age. Hey, Damari, I don't even know if we got a chance to ask you this because, you know, things kind of just, you know, once somebody gets traded or moved on and you don't necessarily get a chance to see them and then the pandemic hits and everything else, it's just kind of been a whirlwind of the last few years. How do you look back on your time in Toronto? Because, you know, you you, you came in, obviously, and, and, uh, you know, I I would assume looking to make a – um, you know, big impact coming over from Atlanta and unfortunately injuries and, and just uh, various ailments kind of derailing maybe the opportunity really had to, to kind of leave the imprint that I'm assuming you wanted. Yeah, it, it was a blessing. I have to say it was a blessing. Now that I look back on it at the time, you know, when you're going through injuries and you're not performing at the level you wanted to perform at, uh, it definitely weighs on you. It weighs on your, your you know, your, your mental, your mental health, all those types of things. So, Looking back on it, man, I'm just blessed because to be able to, to go through that kind of rough time and, you know, to look back on it and see that I still had a heck of an NBA career, I'm, I'm just I'm just blessed. And that's how I look at it. Um, and I took those times and I kind of really, you know, I didn't look at them as a negative. I kind of looked at them in a positive way and, and kind of made me, you know, face adversity, and now I know if something hits of that type of adversity, I know I can handle it. So I definitely look at it as a blessing. The city of Toronto was great. I always love the city of Toronto. I still always come back there every summer. Uh, you know, I got different businesses there. So I love Toronto, and, you know, Toronto have a dear place in my heart because they're the one that kind of changed my life and changed my family, especially Masai. Uh, he changed my whole family, so my family life. So I'm just happy to be able to look back on it and say I had a heck of a career overall. Hey, Damari, we appreciate your time today and look forward to seeing you back up here sometime soon. All the best, man. Take care, Damari. Thank you, brother. All right. That was Milwaukee Bucks assistant coach Damari Carroll. And Jonesy, it's it's nice to hear Damari talk about his time in Toronto because, as I said, obviously not the way he wanted it, it to sort of unfold. Injuries really derailed uh, a great portion, a great deal of what he wanted to do here. But, you know, man, when healthy, 
you kind of play that woulda, coulda, shoulda of the impact that he ultimately could have had with this club. Yeah, you, you can, Eric. And, and like you said, um, they brought him in, um, you know, for a specific reason. Uh, and when he was healthy, he was good. He fulfilled his role. He was terrific. He was part of those 60-win teams with uh, Atlanta and, and Coach Bud, and Toronto saw him as a guy that could bring and uh, bring that. And unfortunately, as you said, the injuries just never let him uh, never let him go. We, we did not see the best of Damari Carroll in Toronto. We saw flashes, but over a consistent time period, we just didn't see the best. All right, to close out the show, one of the best, a guy that joins us regularly uh, throughout the year, uh, multiple appearances over the course of the NBA season from ESPN, Tim Bontemps. Tim, lots to uh, dive into, um, and we could we could start in a bunch of different directions, but I think last time we had you on, we barely even touched on the Toronto Raptors, so let me start hmm, with right. T.O. and the fact that here's a club that is actually – record-wise, in a better position than they were at at the exact same time last year. And it also happens, well, two straight years now, going 10 games of their first 20 without Pascal Siakam. What do you make of what's unfolding thus far north of the border? I think the Raptors have been fine. I mean, they've, they've won, like you said, Eric, they've once have been, been really banged up, right? Pascal missed a bunch of times. Scotty Barnes has been dealing with ankle stuff. Red's been banged up. Um, you know, Gary Trent's been in and out of the lineup. But you look at all that, and they're still over 500 and a really competitive East. Pascal Siakam has been, play, you know, was playing the best ball of his career arguably before he got uh, hurt. Now he's back. So obviously it was a rough game in New Orleans. Uh, it, you know, Raptors look pretty gassed in that game, but you know, I, I think everything is fine. Team's playing well, and you know, I, I think they're in line to have another very good season. And you know, I think there's a lot to be encouraged by with the way things have started out, especially again, given how banged up they've been. Tim, I thought at the beginning of the year that people might be sleeping a bit on Toronto. As you said, we're at the quarter pole. They've been okay considering the injuries. Um, you know, maybe mm-hmm. they'll take off. I mean, last year at this point, after 23 games, they were 9-14. and 14. Other than health, mm-hmm. what do you think it's going to take? Because other teams kind of see them coming. I mean, the, the media, some of the media might underrate them. Uh, other teams in this league probably aren't. No, look, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't even think the media underrates Toronto at this point, uh, Paul. I think they're they're really uh, they're 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 seen as a very good team uh, and, and a versatile team, right? With all the six eight six nine guys that we've talked about, like they play a a unique style compared to um, a lot of other teams, and um, you know, I, I think that that obviously makes them a difficult team to play. And, and if you look at uh, where they're headed. You know, they need Scotty Barnes, I think, to get back to being the guy he was last year. Uh, he's he's had a little bit of a slow start, I, probably some due to injuries, some due to, I think, expectations. Like you said, he's maybe the one guy that people know what's coming as opposed to last year, right? So it's it's natural for, I think, guys in their second year to have a little bit of a an adjustment period as they get used to the league. So, uh, But I certainly think he's going to be more than fine. And if Pascal gets back to playing the way he was before he got hurt, you know, I think these guys are going to be just fine. So I think there should be a lot of um, uh, encouragement about the way things have started, even though, you know, there's been some duds here and there. Overall, if I'm a Raptors fan, I look around the East where things stand. I feel very good about where the team is at. I think there's every reason to think they could compete for a top four seed in the East this year. Hey, Tim, when you talk about looking around the East and looking at the parity that exists in both conferences, 
We've already seen a coaching change a few weeks ago in Brooklyn. When do we see or do we see the first trade of impact? Or do you think maybe teams' records and the parity is maybe having teams hold back a little bit from making any kind of splash? I honestly don't know, Eric. I I think it's going to take a couple weeks, right? I think we're going to get probably past December 15th to see where things go. But I I think it could go one of two ways, right? One way you could look at it is – the Raptors, the, you know, not the Raptors, but teams like the Raptors, there's all these teams that are sort of in a bunch, right? You've got the Celtics and Bucks that are way ahead of the field. And then you've got 14 or 15 teams, I would say, that are all basically in the same pot, right? And you could sort of, on a day, pick them out. You know, a couple of days ago, the Raptors play great and, uh, you know, beat Cleveland recently. And then last night they play, um, they play against the Pelicans and they get run out of the gym. Right, like that's sort of all. All those teams in that group, it's sort of just on the day how you look. You're going to play. So on the one hand, you could look at that and say teams might be more aggressive, and might say there's see there's an opportunity to take a jump forward, and therefore they're going to go try to make moves. And you could also see a scenario where because, like you said, there are so many teams that are good, and there are teams like Utah and Indiana that are better than expected. Maybe they are a little more hesitant to trade guys than you would have guessed six weeks ago. So I, I think we need some more time to see how that kind of stuff shakes out. But I do think it's going to be an unpredictable couple of months here between now and the deadline because there are so many teams in the mix and so many teams that are more in the mix than we would have guessed. I think that is going to lead to some unexpected outcomes either in terms of teams standing pat or in terms of teams being more aggressive than we would have guessed based off where they were before the season started. Yeah, and Tim, I'd agree, especially with the, you know, the likes of a play-in. Uh, you know, teams that are mm-hmm. you know, your 10th or your 11th, you're like, hey, man, let's – Let's not trade. Let's go for it. And it, you know, the the spinoff is we don't get the tanking. Although I might, I might even think about getting a few ping pong balls for Victor uh, next year myself. That that being said, how far ahead do you put a team like Boston? Like we saw Luca last week, and everybody's touting Luca for the MVP. Man, mm-hmm. Jason T- Jason Tatum looks real good right now, and we can't forget about Giannis in the East. Oh, there's all sorts of guys. I mean, Devin Booker put up 50 and three quarters last night, right? I'd like 20 for 25 shooting. Uh, Giannis and Jason Tatum have been incredible. Joel Embiid has been great when he's been healthy. Jokic has been great again. I mean, it's going to be a fascinating MVP race. I'm excited to see what the results of my first draw poll are when it comes out in a couple of weeks. Um, but I, I think the Celtics and Bucks are far ahead of the field. Like, I, I think there's a very big gap between them and everybody else. Uh, maybe that will change. At some point here over the next couple of months, and we see how things will go. Um, but to me, uh, I, I look at this, and I, I just think like I've seen both those teams up close. I saw Milwaukee last night against the Knicks. I'm going to see Boston tomorrow when they host Miami for the second time in a row. I, I just think those teams are clearly better than everybody else, and they've done it with Robert Williams and Chris Middleton not even playing yet. Right? That's what's so scary for the rest of the league. Two of their three best players on both teams haven't played a second. And they have the two best records in the league and are, and are crushing the competition. So, um, yeah, I think it's. I think right now everybody in both conferences behind, behind them is playing for third. And I think if those two teams are healthy, the Eastern Conference Finals between those two teams is going to be a de facto NBA Finals the way things are looking right now. Hey, Tim, time is tight, and that's our fault, not yours. We appreciate you taking some time for us and look forward to chatting with you at greater length on a future show. All the best, man. <laughs> Always great to catch up with you guys. Sorry for the time crunch today, but thanks for having me. That was Tim Bontemps from ESPN. All right, Jonesy, put you on the spot here, and we've only got like, I don't know, 60, 90 seconds. Right now, we're at the quarter point. Who's your MVP? 
Uh, well, I tell you what, it's not Luca as great as he's been playing. Uh, he's done a terrific job, but his team isn't winning enough for me. And if they can pull it up, uh, I'll give him a shot. But you got to be top top three for me to consider you. So uh, Jason Tatum, uh, Giannis in the mix. You know, this is a funny time because if Jokic hadn't won two in a row, because I'm not giving him a third. Like that's Larry Bird territory. I'm not giving him a third. Uh, I might look at I might look at uh, Devin Booker, and that's about it. Those are the, those are probably my top my my top three right now. New Orleans is doing well. I don't know if Zion has played enough games. He's he's missed a lot of games, but those are probably you know my top my top three. I'd throw Embiid in the mix too with Philly kind of making a little bit of a surge here and and you know they've they've won seven of their last 10 as we record this so uh th- those would be my top candidates right there man yeah i asked you for one name you gave me like five i'm going with jason, jason tatum. tatum jason tatum, tatum. if you want one name there we go okay all right we settled on one folks fresh content every thursday right here on sportsnet 590 the fan and wherever you get your podcast google apple spotify or otherwise download subscribe Rate and review for our producer, Austin Mackey, and for Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. This has been another edition of Smith and Jones.